0: Hey, this morning we have a, a great, a great opportunity to hear from our brother Matt. Uh, you all know Matt uh, mostly, unless you're new with us. Uh, if not, this is Matt, and um, he's a, he's a great brother. Mm-hmm. Met him, met him. We were talking earlier this week. Yeah. Uh, met met you a year ago. A year ago. Okay. A year ago this week. Great. So um, a lot of you know this. The details around that story, but Matt, um, uh, Matt and his wife Fiorella are just uh, great, great leaders and servants and ministers in our area. And uh, we have the opportunity to uh, hear from Matt today, uh, sharing the word with us. And so uh, I'm going to pray for Matt and pray for us as we, as we hear the teaching from God's word today. Father, we thank you uh, for your great grace towards us. Um, we thank you for um, all the, the wonderful uh, ways in which you um, show us your grace. Um, and, and, and so, Lord, may we acknowledge uh, all of those ways, even this morning, um, and, and how you are uh, showing us your grace, uh, we know that it is by your grace uh, that we that we hear from your word today. Uh, Psalms 12 says that that uh, your word is is pure, um, and that you preserve and you keep your word. Um, and so we know that even in the in the in the teaching of your word today, um, that that in itself is a another evidence of your grace towards us, and that you have preserved your word um, so that we may hear it and read it and study it. Um, and be, uh, be shaped by it. And so, Lord, would you use Matt today um, to encourage us uh, by your word and, and your grace. And uh, we, we give these things to you in your name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Nathan, for giving me the opportunity to share today. <clears throat> um, I, I was just looking back. I haven't actually stood up in front of a group of people to preach in over 10 years. So give me a little bit of grace. And most of that time, uh, over over the years, um, I was in slippers because we were in house churches and and you don't wear your shoes inside, you wear wear your slippers. So I didn't wear slippers today, I wore just normal shoes and uh, uh, that, you know, might set me off a little bit, but I think I'll be okay. Um, Today, uh, I'd like to share about a couple of words that are very important in the Bible, very important for us to understand as believers, uh, mercy and grace. We've... We've read about it in uh, Ephesians 2. We sang about it uh, a couple of really great songs. And now we'll talk about uh, mercy and grace. Uh, Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, um, I want to warn you, I normally read the New Living Translation, and I know the Bibles here are uh, ESV, so I kind of mixed them up in here. So if you're not following along exactly, it's a translation from the same Greek. It's just a little bit different, a um, little bit different wording. So uh, if you if you can't if you're not following along, if you can't figure out why you can't follow along exactly, it's because I'm I'm using two different translations here. So it's important to understand God's gifts of mercy and grace. Uh, If we don't know the meaning of these words, we'll always uh, have difficulty understanding the gospel. It won't make sense to us. We'll see as we go along how important uh, for our faith, for building our faith it is to understand what these words really mean. There are churches that see both as meaning the same thing, mercy and grace, kind of a shallow meaning, and they end up in error. And there are others who are afraid of these words and never mention these words. That's how I grew up. I never heard these words taught about. Uh, And they end also in a different error, but error all the same. A lot of uh, confusion is facing a lot of churches today, and it could be cleared up by just having a good understanding of what these words, mercy and grace, mean. If we have a good definition of these words, we can avoid a lot of the doctrinal conflicts that we have in the church today. There's a lot of arguing you know, back and forth about uh, Christianity, about doctrine, and so on. And so many, so many times I'm, I'm just thinking, look, if you just had a good definition of these words, these arguments would be completely unnecessary. So hopefully we'll find that today. All of God's blessings to human beings really can be summed up in... In mercy and grace. Uh, all all that he does for us can really come out of those two words. So let's look at the uh, meanings of these words. First, we'll look at how they're similar in their meaning and in their purpose. And then later on, uh, we'll look at how they're different, they're distinct in their meaning. So we'll start with the similarities. Again, the overlap between mercy and grace and their meaning, uh, and then in the purpose. So How do they overlap in meaning? Mercy and grace overlap in meaning. They're identical in one respect. They may have other ways that they overlap. Usually grace is kind of the umbrella word. It's used more often than mercy. But uh, we're going to look at there. A lot of times that will just be a blanket for mercy and grace. uh, Grace will. So both are, the important part, both are gifts from God to those who trust in Christ for salvation. So, uh, if we trust in Christ, we, we see our need for him, we trust in him, we are given these gifts of mercy and grace. And by their definition, they're both free and undeserved. We can't work for them. And uh, it's, it's over, we see that over and over. Romans eleven six is one, I won't read it, but it basically says, if you try to add anything, any kind of work to grace, it's no longer a gift. It's no longer grace. It's something completely different. And it's the same with, um, uh, you know, if you you say, I'm going to paint this wall white. You say, but I'm going to add a little red. Well, it's it's not white anymore. It's pink, right? So, you know, you you can't add to this. It has to be free. Both of them have to be free and undeserved. And Galatians 5, 4, if you want to read that uh, later, it it also tells us that you uh, you don't get it. If you think you can add something to the word grace as more than just a free and undeserved gift, then you're not getting it. So, uh, we'll read again. Uh, actually, I didn't plan this, but Ephesians two eight we just read and nine. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. And we'll see why this "no one can boast" part is important. So, if you can boast anyway in your salvation then you're probably not talking about grace, okay? You need to rethink what you're talking about, but it's not, not grace. So that's some overlap in the meaning between these two words. And now uh, just the purpose. Again, uh, we, we go back to Ephesians 2 when we think about what God's purpose is, his overall purpose. And so we're gonna zoom way, 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 way back into eternity to understand what God's purpose is and grace, and and if, if God has a purpose, you know we we are we tag along with that purpose, and so we believers are examples of God's mercy and grace. Uh, Ephesians two four we read, and uh, we'll go to uh, Ephesians two four through seven. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, so seven, here we go. The purpose. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Okay, so you know, we hear people talk about what is my purpose in life, why am I here, all this, but it's really answered right here in Ephesians 2 and 3. It's super, super clear <clears throat> what God's purpose is. And uh, the, another um, translation of this verse is, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. And so we're going to add a little bit. We're going to take a little bit from Ephesians 3, 10. Just one chapter down. <clears throat> God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, so that gives us, that gives us kind of a big picture. Let's go through that just a little bit uh, more carefully here. So, uh, coming ages... We know that this age has a beginning, and it has an end. Uh, scientists know that time, space, and matter, they begin. They know when it began, essentially. They believe they know where, when it began. And they, they know that there's going to be an end. This age has a beginning and an end. The Bible tells us the very same thing. There was a beginning, and this age will have an end. So in future ages, if you can wrap your head around that, future ages, you know, A long time from now, I assume, uh, there will be uh, people looking for definitions of God's grace, not people, but rulers and authorities looking for God's grace. So if you can imagine us as a church, let's just say that we represent uh, all believers, the church, all believers from the very beginning with the disciples all the way to the very last person who believes. I don't know who that will be. But let's say we represent here all believers. And in a future age, God is going to be pointing to this group from every tribe, tongue, and nation, praising God. It's just hard to wrap your mind around it. Praising God. And God is going to be pointing saying, look, this is an example of my grace. These people are an example of my grace. And we are going to be going... Oh my word! How did we get here? By God's grace and mercy alone, we are now eternally the example of God's grace and mercy. So, if you can imagine, uh, like a it's like a little bit like a cosmic dictionary, and it says grace. You know, see the church, God's grace, the the magnificence, the awesomeness of His grace. See the church, and. Basically, it's just an arrow pointing to this group of people all praising God in every, every language ever known. So uh, it's, it's quite a, an amazing purpose that we have to be the example, to be that example for eternity. It's, it's just hard to imagine, but I encourage you to read Ephesians 2 and 3 a few times and just try to get your head around what it's going to be like for us uh, to be that example Uh, for the coming ages and out, you know, other people, other, uh, it says rulers and unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are going to be looking. And they're also going to be praising God thinking, oh my word, what incredible uh, grace uh, God has shown. So we are, we're going to be praising God. We are not going to be pointing to us and say, "Uh, wait a minute, God, I was a really good person no, that's just not going to happen there. It's not about us. It's about the grace of God so, so that no one can boast as we read above. So uh, to me, that's just an amazing, I, I think about this from time to time. I read these passages in Ephesians, and like Paul, he falls to his knees when he thinks of how incredible that is going to be, and uh, I see why. It's just a, it's, it's a, an amazing thing. So uh, those are some of the differences or some of the similarities of grace, mercy and grace in their, their purpose to glorify God and to show uh, who he is, an aspect, one aspect of his character. Who knows, there may be other aspects of his character that will, we will learn in future ages. We just don't know what's going to be happening. All we know is we are so thankful to be uh, that example. And they're similar in in meaning in that they're free and undeserved gifts from God that we can't earn. So, uh, now let's take a look. They do have some distinctions, some differences between mercy and grace. Uh, Again, grace is kind of the umbrella word, the general word that we get. But we do see many definitions in the Bible of these two words, mercy and grace. And we, it, it doesn't always say mercy, and then it's just written out grace, and then it's just kind of written out. We kind of have to look for them a little bit, f- figure out where they are. But one of my favorite examples of mercy and grace is when Ezekiel prophesies uh, 500 years before Christ, he prophesies about what his mercy and grace are going to look like. And he, he describes Mercy and grace in Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. If you want to you're welcome to look that up, Ezekiel uh, 36, 25 through 27, and he says, "Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart. And I put a new spirit in you. I will take away your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So verse 25 is a definition of mercy. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. And then as you go, 26 and 27, we'll look at a little bit later, because they tell us what God's uh, grace is. And I read this verse often to to unbelievers, and when they read it, they're just kind of blown away by what is possible, what God can uh, and promises to do for believers. So mercy uh, is making us pure and cleansed of sin in God's sight. Uh, In order to receive mercy, though, we have to see our need for it we can't truly believe in Christ if we don't understand our need for Him. And we're blinded by this world to believe that we don't need God's mercy. That's how we're, we're born and how we think from the very beginning. We don't believe that we need God's mercy. But thankfully, the, the Holy Spirit comes and shows us our need for Christ. In John 16, 8, uh, we see what Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will do. It says, And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. Okay, three things there. Uh, our sin, uh, God's righteousness, and the coming judgment. But we're born under this influence of the world, and we see just the opposite in Genesis 3. Uh, they're diametrically opposed. What the Holy Spirit tells us and what the spirit of the world tells us and has been telling us, uh, since birth, this is the real battle going on between the, uh, and the Holy Spirit always wins, by the way, but uh, it, we're just born into this. Let's just take a quick look at Genesis 3. I'm not going to actually read those verses. I'm just going to take little pieces out, those temptations, but the spirit of this world um, hits us with these all the time, and uh, this is our default, if you will, our sinful nature uh, Makes us believe this. So uh, when Satan is tempting uh, Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, he says, "Did God really say that?" That's his quote. "Did God really say that?" And that means um, God is not righteous. We can't depend on God's word. We can't depend on God. He's not righteous. And and uh, that's just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit's telling us in John 16:8. God is righteous. We can trust His word. And we'll have a, you know, a lot of people are, these days, they're looking, well, the Bible, you know, it's kind of, uh, well, uh, they really need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to understand that God's Word is reliable. Uh, The other thing he says is, you will be like God, he tells them. If they sin, they will be like God. And it means sin is no big deal. Uh, It is a very, very big deal to God, but we're being told that sin is not a big deal, and that it will actually make you like God. In other words, uh, that you can reach God by your works is another way of saying this. And so we think, okay, God, he's, you know, not that righteous. He's just kind of here. And, okay, we're kind of here. Sin is not that big of a deal. So I can work my way to reach God. That's what the world is telling us, the spirit of this world, that we can reach God on our own because sin's not a big deal. God's not very serious about it anyway, and I can just kind of work my way to it. And that's, that's a lie. That's not true. And finally, uh, the one that I think most of us would have a little bit more trouble with is you won't die. Uh, Satan tells Adam and Eve that they won't die, meaning that there will be no judgment for our sin. And under the influence of the spirit of this world, it's just impossible to really understand how God can judge, and we'll never be able to accept that. But uh, we must understand, and thankfully by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, who convicts us of the coming judgment, he tells us in the future we will be judged. We will experience God's eternal wrath. So we can only understand these things when the Holy Spirit shows us our need for Him. Um, when we believe the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, it's a work, part of the work of mercy is to open our eyes and show us our need for His mercy. You don't really know, um, you don't really grab for a life preserver if you don't know you're drowning. And so uh, our default is to not know we're, we're drowning. And the Holy Spirit has to open our eyes by His mercy to show us that we deserve judgment because of our rebellion against God. And the payment for our sin is God's just wrath in hell. If we don't understand this, if we can't see this, we need to cry out to the Lord for more understanding from the Holy Spirit because it's critical uh, to being able to believe and mature. So, yeah, in our nature, we oppose the work of the Holy Spirit, but by God's mercy we're convinced and convicted by the Spirit to see our need and the coming, the coming judgment. So uh, mercy is a little bit different uh, in, the, in, the, in the way that it is finished. Mercy is finished. We receive God's mercy once for all time. Once we trust in Christ, we receive that. It's finished, and uh, we can't have more or less of it You'll see uh, many times in the epistles, uh, they're praying for us, wishing, say, may you have more and more grace and peace. You can have more of that grace and peace, but mercy is not something you can have more of. You can have it or you don't have it. Hebrews 10.14 is a perfect transition verse. Again, another definition of God's mercy and grace in Hebrews 10.14. And it gives us a good transition point from mercy to grace. So Hebrews 10.14 says, For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Okay? As a grammar teacher, a former grammar teacher, this is a crazy, you know, set of grammar here, because we have, we have two, two verbs going on, and they're in completely different tenses. They're just totally, totally different. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect. Okay, that's God's mercy. It's finished. Forever made perfect is a done deal. All right, we, we don't have to think about that anymore. Uh, and that's a, a, a past perfect for anybody who, who wants to know. Um, but then, in the same in the same sentence, we have our being made holy, our being made holy, and that is a progressive thing. That's a progressive. Uh, it's progressive in the passive. Okay, so just in, in case you wondered, it's a progressive verse in the passive, and by uh, by default or by um, not by default, but it, it's implied by God. Okay. We, you, for that one offering, he, Jesus, forever made perfect. Those who are being made holy, and we, we could have by God, because it's a passive verb. We know who's doing that. So, uh, that's a transition. Again, we have the definition of both mercy and grace in this verse. And let's move on now and look at the definition of, of God's grace. So, grace is this process of being made holy by God, as we see here. And we'll see a lot of other definitions It's getting what you don't deserve or blessings from God in in this life. And nearly every epistle uh, in the New Testament begins or ends with a prayer for more grace and peace. So it's something that we need more of, okay? Mercy is finished. When we trusted in Christ, forever made perfect. Forever forever made perfect. We can rejoice in that, right? Um, But... Okay, 18 times in the epistles, they say you need more grace and peace, more and more grace and peace. So when we understand the meaning of grace, we understand why we need more of it. It's not just a common prayer, oh, it's just something we tag on the end. It's really something that we need. We need this uh, earnest prayer in our, in our lives. And that's why it's so, so common as a greeting, almost like a greeting or a, or a sending off, uh, wishing or praying for more Grace and peace. So before we look at uh, closer at what grace is, let's look at what it is not. It's always a good thing to know what grace is not. It's not mere forgiveness. Uh, some people would say, I receive God's grace, so now God doesn't care if I sin, I can do whatever I want because it's kind of like a, a license to sin. And I know people in this group. And, you know, you have to completely ignore the word to, to, get to, that, to get to that meaning because in Romans 6, we're told very clearly that that's not the case. And we'll understand as we look at the definition of grace how that's impossible. But Romans 6, 1 and 2, it also says it in 15, but Roman, I'll just read Romans 6, 1 and 2. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? What do you think? Of course not. <laughs> no, that's you are not getting the understanding. You don't see the definition of grace when you believe that. And then there are others. We talked about at the very beginning others who go to the opposite extreme and they're afraid to even mention the words because they also believe it's a license to sin. And they don't, you know, if you talk about mercy and grace in your church then people are just going to go run out and start sinning, right? No. No, that you don't understand the meaning of these words. So uh, yeah nothing could be further from the truth that uh, grace is not a license to sin. It has a huge wonderful meaning we 're going to look more at here in a second. so uh, they will say a lot of people will say grace is free and undeserved, but you know, if they think it 's just a license to sin, and then they 'll give you a list of works okay but you 've got to do all these things all right, fill in the blank depending on the denomination and the Cultural heritage of the people. The list might be different from here to there, but uh, there it's not a list of works because then you're trying to earn this grace, right? If you say, "Yeah, it's free and undeserved," but well, okay, you just said it's not free and undeserved as soon as you put a "but" in there. So, what we should be saying, in fact, is we have received God's grace. It's free and undeserved. So God is making us holy and pure, and we're going to be reading some verses here that show us exactly how that works. So grace is the Holy Spirit's influence in our lives. It's more than just forgiveness. It's much more. So let's, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read again the last two verses of that passage in Ezekiel. It's 36, uh, 26. Again, we read it. You got a preview. Let's, let's look one more time at that. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So that's, that is grace. That's the work of grace in our lives. Now, I always ask every time I read this, who's doing this work? God. God, God is doing this work, that's right. So next, uh, I've got another, and there are a lot of them. I just picked a few here, picked a couple that we'll read. Hebrews 10, 16 is another, a good definition for us. And we'll read 17. It's, it's, it's interesting, they're, uh, they're often put together, right? So we're reading 16 now, that's grace. We'll read 17 to, uh, to, to finish up, and that's mercy. But let's just look at the grace right now. So this is the new covenant I will make with my people. On that day, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Now, who's doing that? Yeah, God is doing that. He's writing that. Have you, if, you, if you've tried, if, if you want to be perfect in God's sight, if you want to really, can, can you do open heart surgery and write his laws on your own heart? That would be pretty bloody, pretty bad. That would be dangerous. Uh, we need to let God write those laws on our heart. Uh, Titus 11, uh, 2, rather. There is no Titus 11. I was reminded Wednesday morning. Uh, Titus 2, only three chapters. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, for by the grace of God, okay, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, redeemed us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Okay, who, who's training us and purifying us? Yeah, it says the grace of God, who is Christ, uh, is doing these things. And again, we get some wonderful definitions here, training us to renounce ungodliness, uh, and renounce worldly passions, to live a self-controlled life, godly life, purifying us, making us zealous for his good works. So these are all definitions of grace. You can, um, you, we also have uh, Webster's, Webster's Dictionary. You can look in that. <clears throat> now, I don't look in the Webster's of today because who knows what those people are writing, <laughs> the definition of words today. But I look at Noah Webster's uh, dictionary from 1828. He was a strong believer, and he based a lot of his definitions uh, of biblical words on what, um, what Greek, on the Greek. So basically, if you, if you look at his definition of biblical words, you're probably going to be able to see a very clear path to what the, biblical, what the Greek definition is. And so it's a little bit easier in English to read this one than kind of an older version of Greek. But in the third definition of Webster's 1828, it says, favorable influence of God, divine influence, or the influence of the Spirit in renewing the heart and restraining from sin. That's pretty, that's pretty, that's great. We need that, don't we? Yeah. We need grace. We need more grace in renewing. Influence of the Spirit in renewing the heart and restraining from sin. Anybody for more of that? Yeah? yeah? Okay. I'm, I'm, put me on the list. So I like to uh, read the Bible <clears throat> and insert the definitions of grace into, uh, into my you know, thinking as I'm reading through. So we define grace with Scripture. So we're going to practice Do you mind if we practice just for a minute? I just picked out kind of a random verse, uh, 2 Peter 1-2, one of many verses where, uh, in this case, Peter is praying for those who read his epistles to have more grace. It's very simple. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So may God give you more and more grace So I'm just going to go back into some of these verses that we looked at. Where are we? Oh, wrong page. So yeah, let's let's look back at, at that verse in Ezekiel right here. Yeah. So may God give you more and more of a new heart. May God give you more and more of a new spirit. May he give you more of a desire to follow his decrees. That's what this prayer is saying. If we look at Hebrews, may God write more evidently, more clearly his laws on your heart and mind. Uh, If we look again, look at another definition from the Titus that we looked at. May God give us more training more of an ability to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, more self-control, uh, more uprightness and godliness, more purity, and more of a zealous uh, desire for God's works. Okay, So when you're reading grace, it has this huge meaning that we can plug in and really get an idea of what this grace is all about. So, uh, this... A little bit of, uh, you know, I've got a lot, that's a lot of good news. I've got a lot, little bit of bad news, I'm sorry. So, mercy, we talked about, it's all at once. It's one and done. It's okay, that's finished, forever made perfect, right? That's what it says, forever made perfect. But unfortunately, grace is, as we read up, up in um, uh, Hebrews, it's, it's a progressive thing. It's not all at one time, not all at once, not perfection. In this life, we're not going to reach perfection in this life. And over and over again, when we see these references, uh, they're talking about a progressive work. So thankfully, we're perfect in God's sight for eternity because of God's mercy, but we still struggle with sin in this life. And probably the best uh, sort of representation of this we find is Paul talking about his struggle in Romans 7. He says in Romans 7:21 through 25, he tells us just exactly how he's, how, he, how he's thinking about his sin. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Have any, anybody experienced that? Yeah. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he, he experienced misery over his sin, like many or probably all of us do. In this struggle with sin, he experienced frustration. And that's why he's constantly praying for, for us to have more and more grace because we're not perfect. We won't be perfect until we stand in God's presence at the end of the age. So we'll only see that perfection in eternity. In the meantime, we will have a struggle and we will have some supernatural help, and that's from the grace of God, but we'll still struggle all the same. So uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18 is another example of God, another definition of God's grace, if you will. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Again, we get that more and more progressive. Uh, Some of these words change in the Bible are uh, Metamorphosis—the the, the word we use for—I can't say for sure if it's this one—but metamorphosis, the, the 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 word we use for a butterfly who transforms from something pretty ugly into something beautiful. But it's a—it it takes time. It's not something that happens. Well, okay, maybe with a butterfly it happens overnight. I don't know how long, but not for us. Okay, not for us. It's a lifetime. So it makes us more and more like Him as we're changed into His glorious. Image that's again a great definition of grace, but it also tells us whenever you say more and more, it means it's not complete, right? (laughs) Um, If you clean something and you say, I have to clean that more and more, well, it means it's not clean, right? You, You need to keep working on it, and that's where we are. So, not perfect, but we need we need improvement, continuous improvement. And sometimes I've seen it. I've experienced it. Sometimes we may see the spirit change us suddenly. Something we struggled with our whole life, and then suddenly it's just gone. We we no longer have an interest in some sin that we did before. We no longer uh, the temptation is not really a temptation anymore because the desire has been taken away. Uh, but normally, a lot of times, most of the time, uh, sin is not gone suddenly. It's something that is a gradual transformation. And uh, we'll see the fruit of the Spirit grow in us. We may not be, for example, gen- uh, generous people, but we'll experience growth in generosity over a period of time. We may not be very patient when we first trust in Christ, but over time we'll see that we grow in patience and so on as we go through these gifts. But uh, it can also seem inconsistent. Transformation can also seem inconsistent or even non-existent at times. God may be working deep within our hearts and we will only notice a decade later, you know, oh, wow, um, I looked back, you look back, you remember some incident, and then 10 years maybe later, you're like, oh, I wouldn't react that way today. Thank the Lord for his grace, okay? We see transformation, but sometimes uh, we just notice When we look back over a long period of time. So it's good, I think, for us to be be patient with God's work in us. Uh, We want to be perfect, okay? I think everybody wants to be sinless, even people who have no interest in Christ. They can see that this is a problem for them and it uh, hurts their reputation or whatever. So be honest and say, okay, do I want to be perfect because of what others see? or for my own satisfaction, or do I want to be perfect because sin is an offense to God? I'm convicted of a sin. So think about it sometimes, you know, if you're, if you're not perfect and you're just like, oh, I'm afraid somebody's going to find out I'm imperfect. That's fear of man, really. That's not fear of God. And so keep that in mind. Think about it. Sometimes when you're frustrated with your sin, you might realize it's a frustration that I have because a fear of man. I don't want others to see my sin rather than fear of God. So keep that in mind. We can pray. God is always gracious and helping us figure these things out. So uh, yeah, our desire, uh, we should desire to be perfect because sin is an offense to God, but often I find, oh no, I'm just concerned about what other people think. <laughs> it's just not, It's just simple pride. So if we can Distinguish that, it helps us, I believe, in our, in our struggle. So, we'll be frustrated with our progress, and at times, just like Paul expressed in Romans 7, we'll be miserable with our struggles. But be encouraged. As a believer, we know, even though we're struggling, that we, we shouldn't be discouraged because primarily we know that we've already attained salvation by His mercy We already have eternity. And whether we see it clearly or not, we know God's grace is working in us. I love this, another definition of grace here in Philippians 2.13. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, whether you see it or not, whether you believe it or not. God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey and the power to do what pleases Him. The desire to obey and the power to do what pleases Him. So, we can thank God for that even if we don't see it all the time even if we may not see it you know him at work in our lives very evidently like maybe other people in other cases we still know that God is working in us because we have received his mercy and they go hand in hand with grace you can't just get mercy and not grace they come together, they're a package so right. let me finish up I'm going to finish up. I don't know what my time is here, but I'm going to finish anyway. I have all day. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, So, yeah, three things just to help us finish up here, takeaways so that we can grow in our understanding of grace and mercy. Uh, First, like we did, read the word with a robust definition of mercy and grace. Don't just think, uh, you read it. I mean, for, for many, many years, I just read it and thought, oh, that's forgiveness. No, it's much, much, much more than that, and it's good for us to keep reading some of these verses that give us a good definition, especially of grace. So that's one. Uh, Two, uh, thank God, as I just said before. Thank God for his mercy. uh, You received, when you trusted in Christ, his mercy, and that's a forever made perfect. I keep going back to that, forever made perfect, And the epistles are constantly telling us to avoid discouragement by thinking about our eternal hope. Okay, the Holy Spirit has showed us the coming judgment. So the coming judgment, that's the future. So we can see we're not focused 100% on this world. You know, some percentage of our attention because of the work of the Holy Spirit gives us an eternal sort of an ability to see the eternal and understand the eternal. And so with that, we can look to eternity with God in God's presence forever as his examples of mercy and grace. So uh, I'm just going to go with with, uh, the writers, Paul, Peter, and James, various ones who tell us to look when you suffer, when you're struggling as Paul, miserable with your sin, look to eternity because of God's mercy, we can do that. And finally, uh, since the epistles, the writers of the epistles, Paul and James and John, Peter, they often end and begin their letters with, may God give you more and more grace and peace. It's a really good way to pray if you don't know what to pray for yourself. I pray a lot. Oh man, more grace. I'm not even sure why. I just need more grace. I, just, I, I know, it's just a, it's just a thing. Uh, sometimes I see, oh, yeah, I need more grace. Other times I'm just, I'm not sure. I, I'm sure I need more grace, <laughs> whatever. It's a good way to pray for yourself. Uh, we need more of the Spirit's influence in our lives all the time. And we know others. If we, I, I often pray for, when I pray for others, I just I have no idea exactly what they need, but I know it can be solved with more mercy and grace. Even if they're an unbeliever, yes, they need mercy. They need grace. If they're a believer, yes, they need more of this um, influence of the Spirit, restraining from sin, renewing the heart. We need more and more of that, and we can be sure that others around us need the same. So those are the three takeaways, and I'm going to do the third one right now. I'm going to pray and finish And I'm going to pray for more mercy and grace for all of us. Not not more mercy, I'm sorry. Not more mercy. That's finished. More grace. More grace and peace. All right. Lord, we thank you so much for your mercy and grace. We thank you, Lord, that we can represent your mercy and grace in eternity. We thank you, Lord, for your grace in our lives. We pray that you would fill us with more of your spirit, Lord, that your spirit would continue to work in us in a powerful way, Lord. Pray that you would give us the the understanding that we just need to cry out for more grace and peace in our lives and that you would also help us to pray that for others, Lord, and see them receive more grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.